So, welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood, and with me this evening, enthralled by all the Spider-Man news. Chad Welcome to another weird, wild, and wacky week in the world genre movie news. So, Chad, people in purple leotards, shooting arrows, totally cool, tracksuit mo- track mafia, growing it up, like Marvel, like doing the holiday charm with the Drew, uh, with the uh, with all of the like trappings of a good kiss kiss bang bang sequel, what are your thoughts, sir, on Hawkeye? See episode one and two. Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, I I didn't. I guess we should get used to new characters that were in New York being introduced by their experience with. Um, with uh, the the first Avengers movie, because that's where we open this thing up with. Um, we spend a lot of time with Kate, and I really appreciate it. I like her as a character. Uh, I I knew she was a character from the comics, but I didn't read any of those. So seeing her this way uh, is she's fun. She's bringing you know that youthful exuberance, and and Clint is being you know an old grump and he has a good reason to be an old grump. They gave him a good reason. Uh, he just wants to be with his family for the holidays. And this little girl has messed it up by wearing the Ronin suit, which plays into all of this. So I'm, I'm curious where it's going to go from here. Um, how, how everything's going to end up coming together, but I'm enjoying it so far. Oh, I also enjoyed that. Uh, they gave Clint his, uh, his the problems with his hearing that he has in the comics and then they even show him wearing um you know the uh hearing aid the, the hearing aid which i think is good because you know marvel's been really into showing different things for as far as representation so this is a new one to add to that uh i think that's that that's a good thing about to get another deaf hero as well um so what were did you the first thing I want to ask you about this, because I have my thoughts on the show and, and on the series, I've watched both episodes twice now. Did you happen to catch the Falcon and Winter Soldier reference? Uh, this is a thing that I've never, I haven't heard anybody else talk about. And did you catch the Falcon and Winter Soldier reference? I, if I did, I don't remember it. The cat. The cat, cat with the, the cat with the arm. Oh. In the restaurant. With that Bucky asks that Bucky gets annoyed by and stops. Yeah. Yeah. That that cat is shown in the same diner that they were eating in. Hmm. With all with him and all his family. Hmm. Where the owner pays for their meal. Yeah, that was okay. I don't think it was the same place. And that's just like because as far as I remember it, in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it's more like a bar. And where they're at is like a a whole restaurant, but it's been a while, so I have to go back and look at it. Maybe, perhaps it's like a restaurant in a bar, and they have multiple cats. Who knows? That is an option. Multiple annoying cats that just do this all of the time. Um, yeah, I mean, I love the fact that we know Hawkeye. We spent five, ten years with him. We spent multiple movies with him. People have their opinions of him. One, one way or the other. I love that we just basically spent the entire first episode of the show called Hawkeye with Kate Bishop. And 
you need that to help fall in love with this girl so that you can, that you're rooting for her success and that you're hoping she stays out of danger and that you're ready when she become, takes up the mantle and becomes the Hawkeye. And so, so I love that. I love how affable they made her. Me and you both love Bumblebee. That was an awesome movie and, and a great performance by Haley Sonnenfeld and a great direction by Travis Knight. But like, she is so charming and effervescent and lovely and amazing that you just kind of blow by the fact that she's from her, she's basically the female Batman. <laughs> you know, she has a limited amount of, amount of money. She has a very, she grew up in a very posh environment and a parent died and that drove her to take up, you know, a form of vigilanteism. I mean, so like Batman is relatable in his grief. And I think she's more relatable in her affability and her just like effervescentness. But like they're both rich <laughs> and they're both wealthy enough to like she was wealthy enough to grow up in a penthouse in in Manhattan, you know, right. Not too far from where the she could see Avengers Tower from her blown out building. So um, another thing also Clint also brings up again the thing that was mentioned in Homecoming that Tony was selling Avengers Tower. It's the second time that's been brought up in the MCU now. So um, that might be something we need to be on the lookout for, too, at some point. Um, but, I mean, I love her effervescentness. I love her performance. And I love the fact that we spend those first two episodes with her, with her because while she is rich, she doesn't come off as a douche, and she gives as good as she gets, you know, quip-wise. And, you know, I think that helps build rapport between the audience and the character so that it, you go on this journey with her. Because really, that's who we're going on the journey on. We, you know, our POV is for, through Kate, not necessarily through Hawkeye or Clint in this particular situation. Yeah. Um, you know, I know, I know she's rich. And I, as I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking this out in the real world, but because they, because of the way the show starts, I'm wondering, you know, because it starts with her mother and father arguing about selling the said penthouse, uh, which implies money troubles. But when we get to, you know, when we fast forward, it seems like, money, well, it's not, it seems like money is not an issue for Kate and her family. Even to money, the point what that, insurance sale settlement money will do for you. See, and I mean, I know, Solutions I know. Solutions don't just fall out of the sky, Chad. Well, I, I mean, I know that in real, in the real life. Uh, I mean, that's what she uh, said. She tells her husband, "Solutions like solutions won't just fall out of the sky, <laughs> and then magically she, I they mean, start falling out of the sky." That that's a monkey paw solution for you. Yeah, well, you got the money, but uh, somebody had to go uh, to to get it. Uh, but I know that insurance money is probably the answer. But because we're dealing with Marvel and and stuff, I wonder if there's something deeper to it. It could not be. It could just be the settlement money came in. And, oh, no, no. There, there's something up with the mother. I mean, they're they're putting too many arrows toward uh, t- Tony Dalton, but, like, there, there's there's something there with the mother. And and whether it's something she did to the husband to make, to make him go away in his study, or whether it's just the deals with the devil she's made along the way to keep her position and affluence in the society, high, high ranks of New York society, uh, there's something up with the mother. Uh, less up with the swordsman. 
we we should have a moratorium on the use of the word devil in relation to a Marvel TV show, lest we bring up things that we don't need to bring up in this show at all. You know, oh, did, didn't you know, Chad, that's not Dr. Strange in that trailer. Just just keeping it out there. Just wanted to, wanted to remind you that all the marketing material is misleading you because that's not actually Dr. Strange. I need you not to say that because there are some people that are going to believe you. The vast corners of the internet where conspiracies live and Al Pacino remains ungassed. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Uh, but yeah, uh, and you did bring up Swordsman uh, it, for those that don't know. And honestly, I watched both episodes and it never even clicked to me. I had to look it up. But uh, uh, her future stepfather, uh, Kate's future stepfather, is the character from Marvel known as the Swordsman. Hence the whole sword play uh, when the fencing scene and him having unseen expertise and possibly killing his uncle using a sword. So I'm sure we're going to get a Hawkeye source and fight in this some way, some, in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, the, Hawkeye, uh, the swordsman has been a mentor of sorts for Clint Barton in the comics. However, they are about the same age, or Dalton's a little bit older than, than Renner. But I don't think that's the route that they're going. Um, the swordsman thing, again... Collider ran an article the first day that the uh, on the Wednesday morning that the show aired <laughs> in an interview with Dalton, call, you know, calling him the swordsman. So like, uh, you know, that that's not a surprise. And it's a good allude to it with the whole fencing scene in the second episode that really shows. And it's another big red flag to kind of point you toward Dalton because how does the the older dude die? The third of seven. How does he die? He dies with a sword across the chest. Yeah. You know, so you know, um, they're they're trying to point you in one direction. Doesn't necessarily mean it's the right direction, um, as we know in all too often times in Marvel uh, lure. So we'll see. There's something definitely up with the mother though, more than this to me, more than the swordsman. The swordsman's just kind of an aloof a hole. Yeah, I oh I think we're gonna get a uh I think we're gonna get a bunch of stuff. Uh I told as I told you before you watched it, I think it it sets itself up to include other people from the mob in New York, particularly one that likes to wear white suits in this ball. That would be Wilson Fisk, aka the Kingpin. Uh it specifically says that uh Ronan was a scourge of all of the all uh, underground criminal activity and specifically says that he cleaned out New York too. So that leaves everything right for for those people to be coming back into power and Kingpin to be one of them. Yeah, and the the, the echo part is the only thing that's kind of uh, that's that's kind of throwing me off there um, because you're doing a Disney Plus show and you're introducing her as a quote unquote villain, but we don't know what she wants with Clint, just that she wants Clint um so that's that's you know we'll see where that story goes but we do know that she is a deaf superhero in the comics and we do know she's getting her own disney plus series so it's obvious that they have some sort of grand designs or visions on her so that's that's the interesting part of that i'm also all here for lucky the pizza dog lucky the pizza dog is awesome although and he's a very good boy apparently because all he did was eat pizza while she was gone and didn't tear the place up oh no he tore the place up some 
mean, some, but, you know, Hawkeye tore it up way worse. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, in comparison, yes. Him and the tracksuit mafia. Those goofballs. Um, uh, I, I'm entertained that they're called the tracksuit mafia and they're wearing tracksuits and they are goofballs. Uh, I don't know much about them, but apparently they're in the comics too. So, you know, fun stuff. And they, but uh, the episode two ends with uh, the character Echo, who I didn't recognize because I don't, I know she's in the comics, but I don't know much about her. Uh, but we're going to get more of her because she's getting her own Marvel show. So get used to seeing her and uh, I hope people like her and like what she does. Cause we're going to see her for a while. Yeah. My hope for her is that essentially we get to a point where like the two deaf heroes in the MCU can meet. Um, excuse me. But uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see which direction they take it because the way now it's being described is a video game where there are levels, different levels of bosses and you work your way up. So if that is indeed the case, um, you know, they could be working their way up the organized crime ladder to Kingpin. They could be working their way up the ladder to her mother, who is actually, unbeknownst to her, the leader of a crime syndicate. Um, we also still need to figure out what the hell the watch means and why the watch is so important other than, other than the fact that it came from the Avengers compound rubble. Um, so, I mean, it's all kinds of interesting ways you can go about this. And I also like the uh, Jack Bauer real-time element of every episode being one day. Uh, that's also a lot of fun, counting down toward Christmas. And it's a cool way for you to um, keep track of how many episodes you're left. I didn't even realize it. I'm glad you said that. Uh, so here's hoping that Clint gets to make it home for Christmas. They literally show it to you in both episodes. They're, in both episodes, there are uh, the characters pass by signs uh, counting down the days of Christmas. And so, you know, um, in the first episode, the, the sign is on the uh, kitchen wall while she's running, walking through the kitchen to get to the uh, black market option and picking up the tray. Um, it's six days to Christmas, and there's a countdown in, I believe, in the um, Times Square, wherever they're walking through with the Disney store, um, and the other Avengers characters on the street. Um, it says five days. Uh, and I think even Clint says there are five. Uh, 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 my girl, uh, Linda Carlini, even says, you know, you have five days to get that done. So, you know, they're, they're, they're pushing that hard to let you know there is a ticking clock situation here, just not the literal 24 cents. Yeah, yeah. I knew she said it, but I didn't know they actually saw it. Like, put it up. I'm. I'll be looking for it in the next episode. Uh, that's a that's a fun little thing to see. Yeah, four days, and your your lead your lead has just been contacted by the police, <laughs> and uh, your uh, other lead is now was being interrogated by the tracksuit mafia. Now, uh, both your leads are trapped by the uh, tracksuit mafia. And we know at some point they have to do a dive off a bridge where they have to hold off. And there's the whole Rockefeller Center set piece. So it's going to be interesting. Yep. So what do you want from an episode three? Um, I don't know. I, I Well, I want to see what their interactions are with Echo. And, and so what does she want? 
And how does that factor in? And how does she factor into the rest of the show? Because I assume we see her more than just next episode since we're getting her in her own show. And uh, we still have Elena to come. Yeah. And we, this is six episodes, right? Right. Okay. So, I mean, after the next the last episode. Of which, the last of which airs the week after uh, think, No Way Home. I think it's I think it's the day before. Or maybe it's, yeah. maybe it's the same the day after. No, no, it has to be. I think it's the day before. So the tw- so the twenty fourth, the first, the eighth, the fifteenth. Yeah, so it's the day before, because yeah, Boba Fett starts uh, a week from yesterday, I think. So they have a, a two week cushion. Yeah. Uh, so you did two episodes on the twenty fifth, one episode on the second. That's three. One episode on the on the ninth. That's four. And uh, one episode on the 16th, that's five. And then the, the one episode on the 23rd would be would be uh, six, right? Yes. So and Book of Bet, I think, is the 26th or something. I'm not sure. I think I saw something yesterday where they were saying it's a week, uh, a month from yesterday, a month from today. So it'd be the 28th. The 29th, 28th, 29th, the week after. Yeah. Again, keep that trainer rolling. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I'm sure we'll get another uh, assembled the week after the finale for uh, for Hawkeye, and then maybe a, so it'll be another. No, no, it will be the week after that. Will be Boba Fett. Yeah, so that should start right. Uh, but so with that being said, I expect that we'll see uh, Elena show up um, at the end of the next episode. And if we are going to get anything with um, crime bosses like the Kingpin, it will probably be in episode five. So I expect everything with uh, Elena to take up the end of episode three and all of episode four. Yeah, because they have to fight each other and then realize, oh, shit, you didn't actually kill my friend. You didn't actually kill my sister. Yeah. And then, then we get to the question of who is Julia Louis-Dreyfus and why is she lying to people in order to get them to do her bidding? Yeah, yeah, that'll be after they come to uh, after they come to some kind of consensus. Um, does she continue working with Julia Louis-Dreyfus? I would imagine we would get some sort of answer towards the end of this, particularly if the if if Sourceman is not necessarily the bad guy, or if he is and he's not dead, I'd imagine he'd get a call too. Be interesting. Because uh, she's putting together her own little team, Nick Fury style, but we don't know what for. Yeah. Uh, and I think we're still like a year or two away before finding that kind of stuff out. All in the grand plan of Mr. Feige, sir. I'm reading, again, the, the book uh, is amazing in detail about the creation of the creative committee and then the frustrations therein. Uh, so I'm glad that thing is gone and, and, and those in charge at Feige and, and those in charge at Marvel that know best are doing these things. And I think the stakes are incredibly low. I think this is a fun show. I think it's introducing a new character and setting the table, which is kind of what you want from this series. It's you wanted more time with Tom Hiddleston's Loki. You were pleased with that. You wanted more time with, you know, 
the decision of Falcon that whether or not to take up the shield, you got that. And you wondered what you would get with Fountain Wanda and, and, and Vision, and you got a good time with that. So uh, Marvel's done really great work with their Disney Plus shows this year, and I think that that'll continue for, for going into next year. Uh, the interesting, the more interesting part to me is what happens uh, when we get into a movie theater to see the grand finale of the MCU on screen uh, in 2021, and that being Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, tell us about your experience trying to buy tickets, Chad. <laughs> so uh, yesterday was Spider Monday, as they put it, and Spider-Man, the tickets for Spider-Man No Way Home went on sale. And you can thank your boy for reminding you that they went live at midnight. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I saw it. Someone else, someone said they were staying up till midnight to get tickets. And I was like, what? Are they dropping them at midnight? That's when I asked you. Um, and I didn't plan on staying up for it, but I just so happened to be up at um um I was still up at 11 o'clock, and apparently they went on sale at 11 central midnight central eastern. Time zone, midnight eastern and they bombarded they bombarded twitter with all these ads from all these different places saying get your tickets now uh and actually uh i didn't i didn't see those first what happened was at about i think about 11 o'clock i just i don't think i saw anything i was just like uh let me google no way home and I just Googled No Way Home and they were like, tickets on sale like right now. I'm like, are you serious? Like right now? So I, I clicked and they showed the show times. I'm like, oh, they must be on sale right now. Then I went to Twitter and it was bombarded with all these ads for tickets on sale right now. So I'm like, all right, let's 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 see how this works. And I click on AMC and it is, I went, I went on my app first on my phone and it was not working. I'm like, are you serious? And then I went to the website and it was crashed. So I tried Fandango and it was crashed. So I rotated between these three for like 10 minutes before I can get something to respond. And I think I got, I got my, I got my phone. Yes. I got my phone to respond first and it didn't just take me straight to the site. It put me in a line and my line was 23 minutes long. And I'm like, am I really going to do this? So I just kept sitting there tapping and rotating on my computer and my computer was still not catching it. So for, it told me 23 minutes. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's closer to 30. And then it finally gets through. And since it's on my phone, it's still registering me as my Baton Rouge theaters. So I just sat in that 23 minute line for absolutely nothing. But in doing so, uh, I saw that there were only there were only two seats uh, taken at that point. So I was like, this is weird that, well, it's not weird that it crashed, but nobody's getting through. There's only these two seats. Uh, I went to my right theater and they told me, you have to wait for over an hour. And I was like, y'all can kiss my ass. And I put to bed. Uh-huh. Um, and Bringing back memories of The Force Awakens, is it not? Yeah. Yeah, it, I don't think, but I don't think Force Awakens was this bad. Endgame was. Was it? Yep. Like I, I remember getting them that night, and I don't remember being that much like. It, it was I, a wait, and you had to keep refreshing the page because it was crashing. 
I mean, it's at the single day record and whatever that single day record was said is going to get killed this year. But like, it was crazy. I mean, and for guys like us who for the past 24 months have been bemoaned by the crowds at theaters and, and all that to see, it brought joy to my heart to see that photo that I shared with you this morning of our, of my AMC, which for the seven o'clock showing is already pretty much full in the middle and it's starting to fill out on the edges and it's only day one. Um, the possibility of a sold out or close to sold out showing um, at, at seven o'clock in IMAX for this movie really excites me and brings joy to my heart. Okay, so uh, I just pulled up my just to see, and I pulled up the uh, the three thirty IMAX. And since I've been here, every time I go to movies, I go to this one. I go to IMAX, and you know, there's like. There's been progressively more people, but nothing I would cut. I would count as full. I'm looking at it in the body of the theater. There's like one, two, three, four, maybe like twenty seats open, just in the body. Before you get when you get closer up the like not the very front rows right by the screen, but you know how that that gap. There's some seats around the gap, but the body of the theater, twenty, thirty seats left. That's it. Uh, so this is a, and that, that's that's for the first one at three thirty. People are still at work, and people are still at school, and that one is insanely full. Uh, so yeah, that's, this is good. That's what I'm looking at when I saw when I saw there were three and three thirty screenings uh, at the Baton Rouge location. I was interested because spoilers are going to get out, and they might get out earlier than anticipated. Because if you're getting in, going to a three thirty showing you're getting out at like 5 30 6 o'clock which means you still have an hour to post stuff before people walk into the theater yeah that uh i mean they're they're, they're just going to, you just got to deal I mean, with it cause... the other thing too that i didn't know chad was their uh nightmare alley is being put right up against it i did not know they were putting the new del toro movie with bradley cooper and um, and Kate Blanchett uh, up against No Way Home, uh, and that interests me simply because both are Disney properties. Because Nightmare Alley is a Fox Searchlight production. That's true. Well, um, it's good counter programming. It, it is. Wrong, but I but mean, still, and if, man. if it works like it used to work, where you just wanted to go see a movie, but this one's full. Let me well while I'm here, I'm gonna go see this one. Uh, that it might work out for them for for those kind of people that just like seeing movies. Um, well, I'm I'm still looking at the site and I haven't seen these words in almost two years. Uh, without clicking on them, it's there's four showings that are almost full, and I clicked on one of them, and there are literally only three seats left. Yeah, the, the sold out moniker on a film is not something we have seen since since uh, um, uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker. I had to think for a moment about what the name of the movie was because it's, it's, it's been, been two long. years and also um, I'd like to forget In the Dead Speak. I forgot a whole bunch about that movie. I've only seen it that one time. I refuse. Yeah, that, that was... I still remember us sitting there watching... Um, uh, talking to Jim and just like the funeral dirge that he was giving for for that movie 
And then us going, it can't be that bad. And then we walk into it and we're like, yeah, we get it now. Yeah, but this yeah, this is going to be um, the event. Th this is the event of the year for the theaters. This is going to be, uh, this is going to, I don't know, I think it's going to fool a lot of people in thinking that the theaters are truly back when I think right now, I think the event well, movies are back. There has to be something to draw them. This is an event movie that you plan your family Christmas vacation around. Like you take your kids to the movie to see the new Spider-Man movie. Yes. And I, I think, I mean, that is good, but it's going to be. That is the three o'clock. Yeah. That, that's a good number of people in there. But it, it's, I, I didn't expect it to be this crazy going into it, but uh, people are really excited about this movie. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, forty-two. Forty-two seats left in the IMAX for seven o'clock. Oh, that yeah, that'll be gone. Most of that will be gone in uh, the weeks leading up to it. And it's only day one. That's the thing that's insanely crazy about this. It is only day one. Yeah, this thing is going to make the most money of, of the pandemic. And, you know, I'm here for it. All right, Chad. So let's talk about the thing that caused me consternation, consternation and heartburn this morning. Amy Pascal, uh, in an interview with Bandango, and I quote, because I wanted, wanted to make sure that I actually get this right, because it's important. There's, there's context, context here that has not been reported, okay? So the question that precedes it talks about uh, the uh, uh, most difficult parts of the film to keep under wraps, how they hid the villains, that kind of thing. The next question, this is from Fandango, quote, you know, as you wrap up this trilogy of films in collaboration with Marvel Studios, Pascal, can I say something about that, please? Fandango, sure. Pascal, this is not the last movie that we are going to make with Marvel. This is not the last Spider-Man movie. We, we are getting ready to make the next Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland and Marvel it just isn't a part of, we're thinking about of this as three films, and now we're going into the next three. This is not the last of our MCU movies. It's Fandango. It's great to know that this collaboration will continue. Pascal, yes, Marvel and Sony are going to keep going together as partners. Yeah, she, she is not prompted or asked about the future of the Marvel deal. She interjects and says, can I say something about that? She doesn't have to answer a question about it. She wants to talk to talk about it, and she wants to put it on the record. That is something that has not been reported today that I've seen. It's all, it's all about the quote. 
But context is key. And she wasn't asked about it. She went out of her way to say it. That matters. That is a that is a good point. I I did not hear that she brought it up today. I just saw the quote. I did see the article uh, that I didn't read all the way through until now, but I did read that part. But you, uh, that is very interesting. And is a, part of a, being the nerd that I am, and part of being the political scientist that I am. Like I have to have things firsthand from the source. Like context is key, and things can get misinterpreted. Uh, misinterpreted in in all kinds of things so the con so actually reading the source document is something that I, I will always do i will always click on the link to the original article or i will always quote the original tweet not the quote of the original tweet because i think it's authorship is important sourcing is important and attributed and attribution is important so i'll always go to the original source but that that quote caused great consternation for me and a twitter uh string between you and I. Yeah, the oh that is a good practice by the way. Yes, go to your go first go to first hand sources. Uh that it's a great way to be up on everything. Um the thing with the quote and the reason why you know it caused you so much heartburn is because of Tom Holland, Tom Holland's DQ spread a few weeks ago where he said that if he's playing Spider-Man if he started playing Spider-Man, he's done something wrong. Uh, and I wanted to interject. This is the quote that you asked me to find because okay. we had a we had a thread on on Twitter, and I expressed my my concern about her going out of her way to mention this, and Holland going out of his way to say the things he's been saying on this press tour. And I quote: "We were all treating No Way Home as the end of a franchise. Let's say I think if we were lucky enough to dive into these characters again." you'd be seeing a very different version. It would no longer be the Homecoming trilogy. We would give it some time to try and build something different and totally change the films. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. But we are definitely treating No Way Home like it was coming to an end, and it definitely felt like it. The other, uh, the other quote is uh, one that says... Um, see talked about the bittersweetness of his last day of filming um and then this one uh quote from november the 12th every time you walk outside that door you're representing spider-man it's tough it's taxing sometimes because sometimes you just want to go to a pub and get absolutely wasted and not have to worry about the ramifications of the public scrutiny of oh my god what do you mean you got drunk um, when you meet these young kids and they're at the age where they can't really figure out whether it's real or not, it's so exciting. I always do the accent and cheat and chat to them. It's really fun. And it's a responsibility. I really loved carrying. But when someone else takes my place, I will be sure to give them advice about how to deal with it and give them my number and basically say, whenever you need me, mate, I'm here. And again, that is a quote, quote from um, from Tom Holland attributed on November the 12th, as we sit here on November the 29th, with Amy Pascal saying, we're making the next Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland in a new trilogy. Yeah. Um, so 
those quotes would seem to be in direct opposition to one another. Uh, I mean, and is that is that all from the GQ interview or is that from other stuff on the press tour? Um, well, some of it is from the trailer thing where he was at, uh, he was, they were, they were at the theater and they played the trailer in New, in New York. Okay. In, yeah, in LA. Um, that, um, that, uh, particular pull quote about, uh, giving the next guy his number comes from the total film magazine article. Um, the quote regarding, um, um, the end of a franchise that comes from AEW article. Okay. Okay. Cause I, I did read the whole GQ article because I, I saw that quote about him not wanting to do it after 30. So I mean, I was going to read the GQ article anyway, but that really prompted me to. Uh, and this, so, but this sounds like it's coming from different places, but having read the GQ article. Okay. Let um, me, let me get that in the GQ profile. Uh, quotes maybe quote open quote maybe it is time for me to move on maybe what's best for spider-man is that they do a miles morales film i have to take peter parker into account as well because he is an important part of my life if i'm playing spider-man after i'm 30 i've done something wrong i've taught i've talked to him about doing it like a hundred doing like a hundred more i'm never going to take make spider-man movies without him are you kidding me Talking about, um, talking about uh, John Watts. Um, so yeah, and that that pull quote about uh, if I'm doing it after thirty, um, that's credited on November the seventeenth. Yeah. So even so, even in in that one, um, it's you've got the 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 opposing things. He's saying you know that he doesn't want to do it past thirty. And Pascal saying that she only wants to make Spider-Man with him. But the statement today from Fandango, that is a really definitive statement that uh, we are making these films. We have a, we know we're making a tr- another trilogy and he's going to be Spider-Man in that trilogy. Uh, I mean, if you want to get semantic, you can, I mean, you could say that they said they're making another three Spider-Man movies with in the MCU and they said that Tom Holland is coming back. They never said how many they were coming back for. The assumption is all three, if you want to do that. But either way, uh, I'm going to assume that she means that, especially in light of the GQ quote, which says she only wants to make, she wants to make Spider-Man movies with him. I know it's hyperbolic, but just go with it. So that would mean if we're still on the same timetable of the Homecoming trilogy, that you're get you're basically getting a movie every other year, so if that's the case, you're talking, about, you're talking about three movies in five years, yeah, plus some more MCU appearances, which is what he just got finished doing. He was cast as, as Spider-Man at 19 years old. The first movie came out when he was 20. He is now 25. At this the end of this six film run because it is six films. It is Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame, Homecoming, No Far From Home, and No Way Home six movies in five years if he does another five-year run like that yeah you can get it done but that's a lot to ask of an actor who has odds who has ambitions outside of just being the web slayer which is why i don't think you get the exact uh the exact thing as of 
like civil, including the Civil Wars, Infinity War, Endgame. I think he'll be. I think he'll show up in at least one more. Uh, he let's say the contract phases to do the trilogy, so he'll he'll show up in one more uh, MCU project at the beginning of the trilogy. He'll have the trilogy of movies and maybe have one more at the end, maybe. Uh, so, and I don't think those appearances, I don't think will be as intensive as what he had for in uh, in Civil War or the Avengers movies. He's a major part of Infinity War. Uh, he kind of, I mean, he has his moment in Endgame, but he's, you know, he's there for the fight and at the end. And Civil War, he has a good chunk in the middle. Uh, I don't think you're going to get anything like that. I think it'll be, you'll probably get something closer to Civil War than Infinity War in his other MCU appearances. But if that's, but even if that's the case, uh, I still think you're bordering on him being like 31. I don't think that's a hard set date for him. I think he was saying that. Um, I found it interesting that he said, he specifically said the age of 30 when, um, I think it was Robert Downey Jr. that said that he won't be Spider-Man when he's 30. I found it interesting that they both said those kind of same kind of sentiments separately, months apart, but uh, very similar. Uh, you mean but, Garfield? No, no. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., it was, it was some months back in some interview, and he was talking about Holland, and he says the kid's not going to be Spider-Man forever. He's not going to be Spider-Man when he's 30. Um, and then for Tom Holland to have that quote of being not being Spider-Man when it's 30, it struck me when I heard it because I remembered that. Yeah, but I'm pretty I, sure he had conversations on set with Garfield McGuire about how you transition out of this, especially with especially with with, uh, with Garfield, who I feel like has had the similar type of career path that Holland wants to have post-Spider-Man. But I think, but the difference is those other two didn't really transition out like their series stopped. Tom is going to have to transition out because they, the, his series is not going to have an abrupt stop. He's, they still have active things for him. And, you know, he, it, this could be like um, Chris Evans because he didn't, when he, like, somewhere in the middle of that run, he was, he was like, uh, he was iffy on it. Like, he, he appreciated the role, but if you remember, he wanted to go direct. Yeah, he he wanted to do other things, and he was in. From the moment he became Captain America, he was in. He was in a, a Marvel movie every year, I think, until the end. Um, but after he did the the um, the Cap movies, he did a bunch. Like he did shorter scenes, and he had more time to do some other things. If you give him time to do the other things, I think you can alleviate some of that pressure and you can get some, some of that leeway. And I think that's what's going to happen here. Um, just saw the Kelly uh, text, which, uh, yeah, go fly a kite, dude. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the Pascal thing concerns me and gave me consternation and heartburn because to me you don't you don't say that without having the you know it's like basically rolling out a red carpet for Lincoln Riley knowing that you know 
the dude's not going to get on a plane to go to L.A. It's like, um, and now here's the new guy. The only guy we ever talked to. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you don't make this commitment with him when you're going on a press tour where he's going to get asked a million questions about this, where Feige is going to get asked a million questions about this. Like, and maybe the movie answers some of it and puts it in a different way. But what I keep going back to is the the pull quote from that article about it being the end of a franchise or the end of a trilogy, and and Tom Holland saying we'd have to it have to be something really different, and giving it a rest. Like, can they really give it a rest? Like you said, they've been doing it set. What it was? What uh, six, uh, seventeen, nineteen, and was supposed to be twenty one, or was it uh, sixteen, eighteen, and twenty one? It was 17, 19, 21. Yeah. It was yeah. just supposed to be this year, just supposed to be the summer. Right. What? So, I mean, can you, re- like, that's not taking time. Um, and now there's something to be said for the guy, like, literally pouring his 20s into one role and then using that role to propel himself in his 30s to the things he wants to do. Uh, and he certainly, you know, God rest his soul, Peter, o- Peter O'Toole kept acting until he was 90. I mean, you know, a decade of your career doesn't have to define the whole career. Um, so it's very, and he's young enough and versatile enough that he could potentially, you know, take that 20 year stretch, that, that 10 year stretch from 16 to 26, uh, 2016 to 2026, do a bunch of Spider-Man films, make a bunch of money, and then go off and spend his thirties and forties redefining himself as an actor. But I don't know if that's what he wants to do. I just, what caused me consternation is this feels very much like, especially once I read the article and saw that she brought it up voluntarily. It's like, you are setting yourself up here. If you don't have a deal worked out with him and if this falls apart and Marvel pulls out and everything blows up in your face, it's coming back on you. Like the fans are going to turn their wrath on you because you promised them three more Marvel movies with the MCU. You promised them uh, more Tom Holland in the MCU. You promised them these things. If you can't deliver on that promise and you know it, you shouldn't be volunteering the information. That's the thing that that, that brings me consternation. And your, bo- your boy is perfect, perfectly right. We don't know how much money was offered to, ho- to Holland between November 16th and November 29th. And he may, in fact, have signed a contract for three more films and two more MCU appearances. But as of post-shoot, Holland was on Collider telling Frosty, yeah, this is my last contracted movie for Spider-Man. So, I mean, everything the kid is saying is basically, I'm done. Now, me and you both lived through Daniel Craig saying, I'd rather slit glass across my wrist than make another Bond film. And then he signed on for another Bond film, which I'm glad he did because that one is far superior to Spectre. Uh, now available on, on digital and da- digital download and video and uh, video on demand. Great movie. Please go go and check out No Time to Die, best Bond movie of the 21st century, right up there with Skyfall. But like, you're putting yourself in a position if you volunteered the information, man. You're putting yourself in a very bad spot if you can't deliver on the promise. And at the simplest, that's why I think there has to be something because nobody can be that stupid. 
because I mean, because if she if she volunteered these things without uh, to your are, point, and they are like hard, like hard and fast statements. Yes. These are not like interpretive statements or like vague statements. These are declarative statements. Yeah, these are these things are happening. There's not a maybe. There's not an if. These things are happening, and to make to again, like you said, bring it up on your own to make these statements yourself. If you make these statements knowing that, and you brought up a good point that I didn't even think about, that you don't have a new deal in place with Marvel, and you don't have a new play, deal in place with Holland, but you make these statements, that is colossally stupid, and you shouldn't work again not doing this stuff. So I, I have to imagine that Amy Pascal is not a dumb person. I have to imagine that she is not an idiot. So something has to be set. Something has to be set. Uh, and it has to be set further than a, a, a verbal, yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah, we're going to do this. No, no, no. There needs to be ink on paper. And lawyers involved. Yes. And now they, and they might announce all the details after the movie come out, but those things need to be that like for her to say that it has to be done. And if not, that is a colossal lapse. Because if that blows up on you, you're done. Yeah. How do you come back from that? You, you did this to yourself. Nobody else, nobody else forced you to do anything. You saw the curve. You decided to jump over it. Now, did you land on the other side or did you crash and burn? Only you know at this point. And I have to imagine that you're not making this jump without knowing that you're getting to the other side. Indeed. So, Chad, uh, let's talk about for a moment box office expectations. As we began our discussion this evening about the number of tickets that are being sold and, and ticket websites crashing for the first time since Rise of Skywalker, and all of the anticipation, the fact that they have successfully gone and navigated the marketing without giving up the biggest of the surprises. Um, and let's let's talk box office. You said earlier that you expect it to do huge numbers. So let me give you the, the great box office reset numbers. These are the numbers for the top 10 movies of 2021. Okay. These are total grosses, not opening weekends. Number 10, God's Kong versus Godzilla, or Godzilla versus Kong, whoever you prefer. Um, uh, Godzilla versus Kong, Kong versus Godzilla, 99.2 million. Jungle Cruise, 116.9. Free Guy, 121.6. Eternals, 150.7. No Time to Die, 158.0. Quiet Place 2, 160.0. Uh, the Fast Saga, Fast 9, 173.0. Black Widow, 183.6 at number 3. Venom, Let There Be Carnage at 209.5. And Shang-Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings, 224.5. So, with the highest number being 224.5 million and the lowest number being 99.2 where do you think it lands in that uh in that range oh it's it's going to smoke shang chi 
I think this movie, uh, we're talking domestic total run. Yes, these, these numbers are domestic. They are not worldwide. I think it gets to... I think it's at least four. Uh, and I think I think that I think that's hampered by the fact that we're still dealing with you know the virus and stuff. I think in a normal year, domestically it's probably pushing six. So I think uh, it might be a little shy of four, but it's going to be right around four. Four hundred million. Yes. Okay, let me give you the top ten international worldwide, the top ten worldwide releases of the great year of 2021. Number 10 is Dune. Domestically, it's number 12. Number 10 is Dune at 373.6. At nine is Black Widow with 379.6. Shang-Chi is number eight with 431.6. Godzilla versus Kong, or Kong versus Godzilla is seven with 467.8. Venom with Therapy Carnage is sitting at number six worldwide at 469.6. And a China exclusive movie, Detective Chinatown 3, the sequel of the trilogy capper there is at 686 million, uh, 686.2 million. Uh, The Fast Saga, Fast 9, 726.2 million dollars. No Time to Die with setting all kinds of records in the UK, is sitting at 755.9. Hi, Mom, a movie exclusively for international audiences, sits at $822.0 million. And lastly, The Battle at Lake Changjin is at 895.7. So, your range is from 373.6 to 895.7. Well, I know Spider-Man is being released in China. And as we can tell, I think from the the top earner, that was a Chinese film, right? Top three. Two in the top three. Okay. So the the ones that are over 800 million. So the Chinese are going to the theater uh, with no problem. And I think this will be the first one that Americans go to the theater with no problem. So it's going to be close. But I think this is, I'm shocked that I'm saying this, but I think it's still going to be a billion dollar movie. I don't think, I think it's going to be like a barely over a billion, but it's going to hit a billion. I think it'll be interesting. I think it's going to be a close call. Um, and the only thing that kind of hinders me now is the variant announcement uh, over the last over the weekend uh, in South Africa and the way that world governments and world health organizations are reacting to that. And, uh, you know, the population, and the fear, even amongst people today that I talked to who just found out over the weekend about it are just concerned about another wave and mutation and being virus uh, being um, uh immunization immune and all those things so that that's the only thing that kind of gives me some pause other than that i think it's going to be the smash hit of the holiday season easily thinks it tops shang chi and the legend of the ten rings i'm with you my box office number 
domestically right now we'd sit at 425.5 million uh, for a full domestic run, but we will see. Um, and I think internationally it'll end up with over 800 million. I mean, I think I think over eight is safe. It's just a matter of can it get up to a billion? And I, I think is we'll it received it up- as well as Endgame? That's what you're coming down to. Is it going to be received as well as Endgame? Because the other part of this too that we're we talked about some on this podcast, but a lot of other people haven't is these are a lot of freaking moving pieces, man. This is a lot of moving pieces to balance, and it's very easy for a movie like this to go off the rails. And Marvel really hasn't truly had a movie go off the rails since like Thor: The Dark World. They yeah. had production troubles on some, but nothing that nothing that went off the rails quite like Dark World did. I, you know, if John Watts and Marvel can pull this off, uh, the Fantastic Four is in really safe hands. Yeah, yeah, that I mean that is the question, but I, even if it's off the rails, some it's. Spider-Man, I know people like to think it's Batman, but Spider-Man is still the most popular superhero in the world. The world. Um, and you've and, got an entire generation that grew up with both of two other versions that are also going to be in this movie. And and, and one and again, plausible deniability up until the end, but once people know for sure that they're in it, even if it's kind of off the rails, people are going to want to see it. So I think uh, the, the Chinese movies have gotten close to a billion, but they've been you know, just international releases not released in North America for good reason. They probably wouldn't make the money here. But when you reverse that thing, they the Chinese will go out and see these movies. And then you add in North America. I think that's what pushes it over the edge to a billion. It'll be interesting. So, Chad, one last thing I wanted to cover on this podcast before we go. I heard a bit of fun fan casting on the Internet today for a potential Fantastic Four member. What say you about the possibility of Adam Driver as Mr. Fantastic? Hmm. Um, yeah, I pictured him more of a doom myself, but I mean, that's just because I see, you know, I basically see Kylo Ren and I think of Dr. Doom. Yeah, I I mean, the aesthetics I get, I don't, the way I see Dr. Doom, Dr. Doom is more flamboyant. And I don't, I mean, I'm sure he could do flamboyant, but I just don't see it naturally. As a Reed, maybe. My whole thing with Reed is it, it really depends on who you cast around him because I, I think it's really important who Sue is and it's really important who Ben is and how he plays off of those two particularly. Johnny plays off of Sue and Ben more than Reed. Uh, so it's, it's really his interactions with Sue and Reed and who you put around him. If you put someone... I don't, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be against it, but I don't naturally see it. I just thought it was a bit of interesting fan casting that that made me stop and think. Because like I said, I, I typically think of him when he does franchises now as like the villainous guy, like playing the organ and, and having the half a mask on type of dude. Mm-hmm. Um, he gives an over, uh, by all accounts, a mild performance compared to Lady Gaga and, and Jared Leto and, and Al Gucci. But uh, yeah, just, wow. <laughs> uh, uh, again, yeah, it, I wouldn't hate it. It's just, it would- but That would still be a hell of a get for Marvel. Yeah, yeah. Because I never once considered him at all for anything, actually. So, you know, if he wants to do it, go for it. 
I mean, it, it, he he gives off the vibe to me as a guy who's willing to do roles to take the money to finance the other things he wants to do. So yeah, yeah there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. So that'll about do it for this week's actual movies on the brain podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter, I am at BCW Tiger Fan. At the Mets Theory. And this is the absolutely shameless plug for the LSU coaching uh, uh, hire podcast that we did earlier tonight that you should definitely check out if you're into rantings about uh, pieces of human uh, space garbage. Um, (laughs) So uh, for uh, Chad, I'm Brian. Talk to you later.